The spirit of performance defines Acura. And now, it's electric. Introducing the all-electric ZDX, Acura's most powerful SUV yet. While what powers their cars may change, the energy that makes Acura never will. Crafted using the same formula that brought them electrified supercars and multiple IMSA championships, the ZDX has track-tested performance that packs an energy all its own. With a premium Bang & Olufsen sound system and up to 313-mile range on a single charge and a Type S variant with an estimated 500 horsepower, the ZDX is everything they said electric could never be. It was built with the driver in mind, just like Acura's been doing since the beginning. We could talk all day, but the only way to experience this electric performance is to drive it yourself. Unlock the energy and order yours at Acura.com. Right now on Fast, searching for answers. A brutal week for Alphabet dropping nearly 10% and punishing action for a host of this year's early high flyers. With rates rising, the Fed still in play. Could this be the setup the bears have been waiting for? Plus, Super Stock Sunday, the record-breaking action for sports gambling this weekend and the potential winnings off the field in the commercial Battle Royale. Our traders picks and pans ahead of the kickoff. And later, a visit from the Chartmaster. He'll be along to give us his crude assessment of where oil is heading next. No lines, no judgments. I'm Melissa Lee. This is Fast Money. We're live at the Nasdaq Market Site on the desk tonight. Tim Seymour, Courtney Garcia, and Jeff Mills. We start off with the potential end of the risk-on rally. The Nasdaq dropping for the fifth time in six days, snapping a five-week winning streak, posting its lowest close of the month. Some of the biggest laggards, high-growth stocks that had been in rally mode this year. Lyft plunging more than 36% today after its disastrous earnings report. The stock clocking in its worst loss since going public four years ago. Fintech Affirm posting a third day of losses after its own disappointing report earlier in the week. And the sell-offs didn't stop there. Bitcoin seeing its worst week since November. The ARK Innovation ETF breaking a six-week streak of gains. Even stalwarts like Alphabet taking a sizable hit. So does this week's action signal the end of the high-growth rebound? Is risk on, now off. Tim. Well, if I was tying a thread around that list of stocks mm-hmm. and whatnot, there's two things I would say. You have high multiple companies that have had an enormous run. So they've, they've rallied disproportionately. And guess what's happened this week? We, we'll tease a chart of the week. But something has gone on in the rates market that we think is very interesting. We've had a big move in rates. Uh, and then the other dynamic is you know, Affirm and, and, and PayPal and a handful of other companies and even some of the consumer staples companies this week talked about uh, discretionary spending. So you think staples maybe, but uh, you know, some of the, the – the elasticity that's going on in the businesses of companies that can't pass on prices, but heard about discretionary spending, heard about a consumer that's wounded. Earnings took over. And actually, we went from just like the headlines of mega cap tech and we got back to the reality is the consumer's not getting stronger. Last Friday's payroll number, we all know. Everyone who watched this show knows that we look backwards when we start talking about those job numbers, and we, we actually like to look forward. So I, I just, you know, that's what this week felt like to me. It felt like, first of all, until you get to 4,000 on the S&P, I still think we're in an uptrend, uh-huh. uh, and I, I'm not saying that we're, we're here to break it. And you can make an argument that the trend still looks decent up to 4,300. But, but either way, we've had a big pullback in high multiple stuff, sensitive to interest rates, and it's been a heroic run, you know, and I think that's what you have to look at. Yeah, I mean, last year's losers, for example, outperformed by 25% versus last year's winners. That's the second biggest period of outperformance over this part of the year since 2001. So, you know, it's a major sort of mean reversion trade. We've talked about that for a while. A lot of it had to do with rates. And I hate to use the word Goldilocks, but we were there. You know, the technical picture started to change. Macro looked good. Rates were behaving. But I do think there's been a little bit of a shift since the Fed meeting. Rates have perked up. That's pressuring multiples again. And Tim mentioned rates specifically. I'll mention 
credit. And this is something I've had my eye on for the past couple of weeks, kind of made me shrug my shoulders. So earnings expectations, we all know, continue to come down. Mm -hmm. But what was happening at the same time? Credit spreads were also tightening. That's very unusual. And I think it was actually emblematic just of sort of the risk on mode we were in that didn't necessarily align with fundamentals. So that's what has me nervous here going forward. Yeah, and I think when you look at this year, like take your top five mega caps, right? So you have your Apples, your Googles, your Microsofts, your Amazon, your Facebooks. They increased um, revenue last quarter by a whopping 1%, yet you had this huge increase in their stock prices. And I don't think it's that different than what you saw. Like in the year 2000, you had the Nasdaq was down almost 40%. It jumped up above 12% in January, a lot like what happened now. People thought, oh, this is the end. Let's put money back in. It's risk on rally again. It went to then lose another 30% over the next 12 months. So these time periods are not unprecedented. I do think there's still pockets of the economy that can continue to do well. And I don't know for the end of this, to the Tim's point, I don't think this is necessarily the end of big tech, but I would still call this a dead cap bounce specifically in tech. Well, what was so interesting about the shift in sentiment early on in the year when, when the rally was going on, I, I'm <clears throat> saying past tense as if it's over, but <clears throat> as we were watching the rally proceed, uh, more people were going into soft landing in, into that camp, right? And I wonder if there's a shift now back to, oh, you know what, it might not be as soft as we think, because that sentiment is... that. That was quick. Well, not as soft as we think. I think comes from a week, a week and a half of listening to the Fed mm -hmm. and understanding that no matter what happens, and I'll, I'll draw attention also to the terminal Fed funds rate, which which this week went from 485 out in August to about 518 and a half is where we closed today. So so we, we've digested not only higher for longer, but we've digested higher rates. And, and, and I, I just think that that, uh, along with the front line listening to consumer uh, discretionary observations from companies, is, is where we're going here. But, but again, I'll just point out that, that the semiconductors moved 50 percent uh, through a, a day and a half ago. They're down about five and a half percent intraday from the intraday highs yesterday morning. But, but from that October 13th CPI low print, they went up 50 percent. I mean, these are enormous moves. And, and I think you have to give a little back. Yeah. Well, and I just want to highlight one thing, too. Soft landing. It mm -hmm. always looks like a soft landing at the end of a Fed tightening cycle. Every single time we get toward the end of the cycle, rates sort of cool off a little bit. You get a run in the stock market. We saw it in 2006. We saw it in the late 1980s. So this is not unusual. What happens next? It's all predicated upon whether we go into a recession or not. I'm still worried about the labor market. I think nominal revenues for companies have been supported by inflation, you know, able to pass on higher pricing to the consumers. I think once that comes off, they're going to have to cut costs where they can to protect margins. I think that puts the labor force at risk, and that could be the next leg down. It always looks like a soft landing at first. It's about what happens next. Yeah, we're starting to see the limits of price elasticity. We're starting to hit the limits to what the consumer is willing to spend for a bag of Doritos or a burrito at Chipotle, uh, not to pick on the Edos. Well, I mean, those, those <laughs> are, that's, that's good chow. I mean, you know. That's, and it's getting more stuff. expensive. <laughs> It absolutely is. And it hasn't been a problem thus far because the consumer still has a lot of cash. Actually, just last month, cash levels reached above what they were back in 2020, which is fascinating. So people do still have that, but they are pulling back right now. And that is going to be a problem when you're looking at these companies. This is why earnings are under pressure. This is why you need companies who are going to continue to do well, even in a higher rate environment. And ones who still can pass on those higher prices or at least keep the ones they have. So it's going to be really important when you're looking at your investments, you stick with those. I, I just feel like we all we've been doing for the last nine months or so, even more, but 
But as we've started to digest the reality of the Fed and these rate hikes have been settling in, uh, and Jeff's bringing up a great point, too. I mean, and, and if anything, this is a, a case where the Fed is actually, if anything, hiking when, when the economy is slowing. And it's usually not the way it happens. It's usually when they're cutting rates right about this time. But, but I, I would just point out that we're, we're in a place here where um, I just think sentiment has had so many of these dramatic swings one way or the other. And I would argue it's just about repositioning. And, and I would argue it's very difficult to argue that the consumer is going to be in great shape. They're in a better shape. They have a job. Um, we, we, we do the math on the S&P all the time on the show. And, and it doesn't make sense to me that we're at the multiple we are when, in fact, we haven't really started to see earnings come down. I think this earnings season is really you're starting to hear from frontline. And that, that's what this week felt like. So where does the repositioning happen in your view, Jeff? Does it still continue to happen away from big tech? Certainly the, the higher growth or the high flyer names. Yeah, I, I think in. so. And I, I think you also have to focus on companies that are able to grow earnings a little bit. I think we have to, again, kind of bifurcate high growth, high multiple tech with growth stocks that actually produce free cash flow and earnings. That's the key. I mean, this earnings season's been sort of weird. And the word that we hear over and over again in these earnings calls, efficiency. Every time you hear efficiency, you get a big jump in the stock price. I don't know whether that's sustainable relative to the overall earnings of the market and therefore that being able to support the current multiple. So that's what worries me. I think we see a rotation back to what worked last year, at least for a point in time, healthcare, energy, et cetera, um, even staples, for example, high multiples. But I think eventually people are going to want the safety of those sorts of stocks uh, as the economy continues to slow. You were just mentioning the outperformance of energy relative to the S&P 500, which yeah, is six, surprising. Yeah, 6% this month, yeah. which is uh, sort of surprising. I was looking at it earlier today, but I think that that's part of the story. You have a lot of these parts of the market that were really left aside because they outperformed so much. Again, rates were coming down. You're in the this Fed pivot window where everybody says, you know what, a soft landing's possible, rates are behaving, so multiples re-rate. I just don't think that that's sustainable for the remainder of this year. All right, let's uh, turn to oil now. Crude prices jumping more than 8% this week, their best week since October, and the chart master sees even more upside on the horizon. Let's bring in Carter Worth of Worth Charting. Carter, what are you looking at? Well, it was a firm day. I mean, we know nat gas was up uh, 3.5%, um, oil up 2 while industrial metals down 2%. Let's look at some charts. I only have two. One's a short-term, one's a long-term. So dispense with the line that I've drawn. We would all agree, right, this is a downtrend. It's moving from the top left to the bottom right. But the rate of descent is abating. We have a series of lower high, lower high, lower, but no new low, no new low, no new low. And so you're starting to get a formation, I think, that's setting up like that. Now let's look at this exact same chart and pull it back second of two charts. So that's that line we were just studying. And what we have here, again, is so often the case, the lines inform almost everything. Where does it bounce? To the penny. Where does it bounce? To the penny. Where did it stop here? To the penny. And so now this is an inflection point. Does it have to go up? No, I'm sure there are people betting otherwise. My thinking is it does go up. We put in the green arrow. I think 85 is where we're headed. We close at 79, 72. Carter, thanks. We will see you shortly on Options Action. In the meantime, let's trade this. I mean, that's no lines, no judgments, right? That's what the chart master does. As it always is with As Carter. it always Never is. Never a judgment. No, I mean, right, it, right. But, you know, we got news today. Russia's going to cut production starting in March, and that's certainly going to impact the global oil picture here. Uh, it's always to the penny. And, and I think you have a case here where I, I, I believe that the energy supply dynamic is not something that changes anytime soon. And, and I, I think you can even make an argument that if you saw some miraculous settlement with Ukraine, which the world wants to see. But uh, the, the more important point is that there's been a lack of spending and infrastructure on CapEx and OpEx in the energy sector for many, many years. And, and what the market wants to see, and I mean, I mean the stocks, they want to see an oil price that's stabilized. This is an oil price that's stabilized. We've traded in a range now for three to six months. Um, oils, as, as, excuse me, as they say, oil companies 
and energy companies don't they don't rally when oil prices are spiking because nobody believes that price is sustainable. We're just getting through. In fact, the energy earnings this week that came out of a Pioneer or some of these other companies, they were very strong. We continue to hear about higher payout levels. We hear about debt paydowns. Uh, and back to what Jeff said, you want to find companies that are increasing their cash flow and companies that are going to do well in this environment. The energy companies are a place you're going to get that. Well, and the capital discipline. I mean, think about an ExxonMobil, for example, right? Record profits, but they're still talking about cutting costs and managing that side of the business. I think that's important for these companies. Sure, you can argue that they've over-earned over the past year, but at these multiples, I still think the stocks can do pretty well. Uh, If you look at the charts, they're still relatively supportive. And just the last thing I'll say quickly, because Carter brought up natural gas, if you look at the bullish sentiment relative to natural gas prices, it's as low as it's been, I think, ever. So I think I would pay attention to that. I would pay attention to a stock like LNG, for example, it's at a very interesting technical uh, technical point at support. So that's maybe a stock you could play here too for a trade. Yeah, and I, you know, I definitely like energy. This is one of my letters, my acronym here. So I, I'm definitely bullish on this. But Tim, you bring up some good points. The supply and demand constraints have not gone away. If anything, they've gotten worse since China reopened. And I also think when you look at the long-term earnings growth in energy, it's actually still, um, believe it or not, expected to be better than even your technology sector. So yes, it may not outperform to the magnitude that it did in 2022. And that's why I think a lot of people have just put it by the sidelines. Mm-hmm. But it's still going to do very well this year. And I really like his charts here. I would still make sure you have this in your portfolio. I mean, an environment where you're questioning growth, where you're questioning big tech, and you're wondering where to go and how this economy lands. I mean, energy seems like the fundamentals don't change, even soft landing, hard landing, whatever it is. Well, some people are going to point to potential cyclicality in, in energy demand, but I, I right, I, I think we're just we just argued against that. Yeah. It, it's about energy, it's about big pharma, it's about healthcare, uh, and I think you know the staples trade this week. I, I think a lot of these staples companies have seen some of their best days, and I, I would not be chasing these these multiples here. All right, coming up, house hunting, looking to finance a car. Our chart of the week may make you change your strategy and. Super Bowl stakes are high and on and off the field, especially for hot gaming stocks. We'll go live to Phoenix when Fast Money returns. Hello, I'm Laura Castleton, U.S. Head of Portfolio Construction and Strategy at Janice Henderson Investors. Is a brighter future possible? At Janice Henderson, we think it is. For 90 years, we've worked to help clients achieve superior financial outcomes and fulfill our purpose of investing in a brighter future together. We know that this means our thinking and our investments are helping to shape millions of brighter futures for the next 90 years and beyond. To learn more, go to JaniceHenderson.com. Wouldn't it be great to have all your investment and retirement accounts in one place? Yahoo Finance, our sponsor today, makes it easy. I use it to put my investment account and 401k accounts into one hub and get expert tips that help me confidently manage my money. For more than 25 years, Yahoo Finance has been the brand behind every great investor. Whether you're a seasoned investor or are looking for that extra guidance, Yahoo Finance gives you all the tools and data you need in one place. They're the number one finance destination, producing a holistic look at the financial news cycle, including breaking news, original editorial perspectives, analyst ratings, independent research, customizable charts, and so much more. Securely link your brokerage accounts for a unified view of your wealth, including 401k and other investments. A comprehensive perspective is what sets apart great investors, and it's how Yahoo Finance ensures you have the insight to look at your wealth in its entirety. For comprehensive financial news and analysis, visit the brand behind every great investor, yahoofinance.com, the number one financial destination, yahoofinance.com. That's yahoofinance.com. 
Welcome back to Fast Money. Gaming stocks have a big year, and the Super Bowl could make the payouts even bigger. Contessa Brewers live in Phoenix ahead of Sunday's big game. Contessa. Hi there, Melissa. Super Bowl might not even be the kickoff for a very good year. Case in point here, January gaming results are just in for New York. That state set an all-time monthly record for any state, $1.8 billion in handle, or the amount wagered. 10% higher than December, which also set a record. Yeah, yeah, I know. Playoffs with the New York Giants and the Buffalo Bills might factor into this. But the industry estimates a billion dollars will be wagered through legal sports books on the Super Bowl alone. FanDuel tells me it anticipates more than double the number of bets this year than last. And wagers coming in from active customers for FanDuel will be up 90% over last year. Look, it's already posted a profitable quarter. Penn just did in its sports betting segment. Caesars got really close. DraftKings feeling the pressure. But look at the stock momentum this year. DraftKings up 40% after it just got pummeled last year. MGM, partners in BetMGM, benefit not only from sports, but also from being a leader in iGaming, and of course from exposure to bricks and mortar in regional casinos and Vegas. Both just set new records last quarter. Win two. It gets a benefit from the surge of spending in Macau, as does Las Vegas Sands. <sighs> First, Melissa, we just got to get through the big game on Sunday. Just got to get through. Contessa, it's a huge game. People are really <laughs> getting geared up for this. It's I'd amazing. It's going to be a lot of fun yeah, to see how not. it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Contessa, thank you. Contessa Brewer. One person who is sure. getting really geared up is Jeff Mills because the Eagles. That's your hometown team. Ready to team. go. Yeah. Hometown team. My daughter loves the Eagles. We'll be, we'll be placing bets on the coin toss and over-under on the national anthem. I'm sure anthem. your daughter will, too. <laughs> yeah, well, exactly. She helps me pick, so we'll have a lot of fun. But I'm not convinced that the moves that we've seen in Win, MGM, DraftKings have anything to do with the fundamentals of those stories right now. I mean, it was China reopening and then DraftKings, dare I say, sort of the dash for trash, high multiples, getting a run this year. So I worry about a name like DraftKings heading into earnings. If you hear anything about the profitability narrative, that isn't exactly what investors are expecting. Again, after that big move in the stock, you could see a gap down. So that concerns me a little bit. I'm more optimistic, let's say, about an MGM, for example, that being a growing part of their business. They're taking share there. And I think profitability is more realistic for that type of company within sports betting. So I would focus my efforts there, at least in this market. I think when we're talking about uh, MGM or when we're talking about DraftKings, I think we're talking about a slightly different story yeah, than, right. than Las Vegas Sands and Wynn. And I'm mm -hmm. not saying you're saying they are the same. I'm saying that I think the fundamentals for the Macau-based gamers are, are, are actually pretty interesting. And I think in some of it we talk about it, whether it's the, the license renewals, whether it's China reopening, um, whether it's just the valuations that are kind of absurd. But back to DraftKings, you know, the question is, um, are you paying up for still a company that doesn't make money in a world right. where at least, though, um, there's been such great rationalization and at least there's been a, a much uh, more thoughtful approach to CapEx and OpEx and growth at all costs. The addressable market growth in the online gaming world, online sports betting, is out of hand. So, you know, it, it reminds me a little bit of the cannabis world, which has had an even more difficult time. But when you see an addressable market grow, you see the federal dynamics that are not clear. Mm -hmm. and, and you see some companies that are spending to get in there early and they will probably have a head start. I think DraftKings will. Um, and I certainly am. Uh, I, 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 Jeff's daughter, I would like to see very happy on Monday morning, but I'm Thank not you. pulling for the Eagles. Sorry. Um, Sorry. <laughs> uh, gaming stocks, by the way, aren't the only way to play the Super Bowl. Corporate America shelling out millions for ads during the game, but some of last year's biggest spenders have had epic fumbles. 
FTX, for instance, has filed for bankruptcy. Coinbase Whoops. shares are off more than 70% since a big game. Carvana faring even worse, down 90-plus percent. But could this year's advertisers see a better fate? Courtney, which Super Bowl advertiser company this is would you fun. buy? Yes, yeah, I thought this was a lot of fun. I was looking at all throughout history, the different Super Bowl ads. This is not just last year, but all, all the time. You have these companies that come out and they do not fare well afterwards. But some of your longer-term advertisers, like Pepsi is a good example of that, does not tend to have that same fate. Um, they're a lot more of your stable companies. And this is a company who has good earnings growth. They are, um, pay a good dividend. They just increased their dividend for the 51st consecutive year. Um, and this is a company who actually has been able to increase their prices. You actually brought up Doritos last segment. Um, they actually have really been able to raise their price and consumers are coming there. And I think this is the kind of stock that you're going to want in this environment. Um, they have a, a few good ads. You can actually see them on YouTube. They have a really good Doritos one and one uh, they're showing it here with Jack Harlow. Um, another one, they have some good Zoolander references with Ben Stiller. So uh, check those out. They're great. Um, I almost wish I had to wait for the Super Bowl. They're, they're already on YouTube. <laughs> Tim. It's great to get these sneak previews of these commercials. Because, right? I mean, I, you know, you, you're stuck to the TV in the first couple of minutes. I, I, I like two things. I like, first of all, the, the T-Mobile is always right there in the Super Super Bowl, and I like T-Mobile as a stock, and I realize this is kind of a, uh, this is a little bit more polarizing just because the valuation trades two times Verizon, two times AT&T. T-Mobile has destroyed these guys. While they've been raising debt and spending on 5G, T-Mobile's been doing this through cash flow, and they were way ahead of the game. I think the stock continues to outperform. And Mexico, the Mexico tourism, EWW is the Mexican ETF. I think as an EM guy, Mexico goes higher. I think it's a currency story. I think it's a nearshoring, and I think, uh, yeah, Mexico. I like it. So it's a multi-year call, but Netflix, it's a stock that we like over the long term. Our analyst who follows it says $40 billion of cumulative free cash flow by the end of the decade. So if that estimate is anywhere close to accurate, I think the stock is probably dirt cheap here. I would look for 400 as resistance in the near term. What's your prediction on the game, Jeff? I mean, you know, from an Eagles fan, what do you got? Lay it out there. Eagles by 100. By by 100. (laughs) Okay. Well done. Some laughing in the studio at this. Uh, coming up, our chart of the week may stop house hunters in their tracks. And during February, we're celebrating Black Heritage. Here are the founders of the Earn Your Leisure podcast. Our culture has been the catalyst for everything Earn Your Leisure has done. That's why we've been so super intentional. From the way we dress, to the way we talk, to the way our message is delivered. Our success has been extremely humble and we have gained worldwide support, but we never forget that we stand on the shoulders of our forefathers and our goal is to leave a legacy for generations to come. Welcome back to Fast Money. Time for the chart of the week. It is the 10-year treasury. Over the last five days, the yield on the 10-year seeing its biggest basis point gain since the start of 2023. Now at its highest level since January 5th. What does this rebound mean? We are just referencing this in terms of Rates go higher and risk assets have a harder time, Tim. They do. High multiple names go, go I certainly run into some trouble. I think you have a t- look at the two year went from 403 to 452 this week. And I think you've got an argument that rates are going to stay higher. It doesn't mean that, that stocks get crushed here, but it does mean that I think people are reassessing how quickly this Fed pivot is. Yeah, Courtney. Yeah, and I think previously what you were saying is the bond markets were actually pricing in a Fed cut later this year, which, you know, I think the Fed slowing down at some point versus them actually cutting later this year are two different things. So I think you seeing some of these rates start to raise is they're finally listening to what the Fed has to say and realizing rates might be higher for longer, which, again, is why some of your, your higher growth assets are really not where you want to be at this point in time. Right. And then there's the inversion, which we 
didn't mention here, but. Yeah, the inversion. I mean, you've seen stocks rally with the yield curve inverted. You've seen a couple of 25% rallies over the years. That would take us to about 4,300, 4,325. So, look, that's not out of the question in the near term. Stocks can move higher with the curve inverted. But one quick thing, I was looking at U.S. rates relative to European rates. Um, That spread is starting to widen out here, and that's exactly when the dollar bottomed as well. So I don't know that that's sustainable, but pay attention to that rate differential relative to the dollar and what that means for corporate earnings. All right, time for the final trade. Let's go around the horn. Jeff Mills. Okay, uh, XRT. I was a seller of XRT a couple of weeks ago. It failed right at that August high. I think it probably continues lower from here. Courtney. Um, Pepsi, actually, this is what we were talking with, about this with the Super Bowl, but I do think you want these kind of companies that have pricing power in your portfolio currently. Tim Seymour. Mel, over under on the game. Just keep, pick a number. I, I come, oh, know. come on. I you, don't you know, know you. you 50? Jeff. Eagles by 100. 50? Eagles by 100. Eagles by 100. Okay. Um, see, that, that's not going to happen, and therefore I, I, I worry for you because I, I know you, you want to win. You a question I have no knowledge of. Anyway, go Merck, ahead. Factory. Merck. I think pharma, big pharma, Merck especially, great pipeline, great core growth. I like it. All right. That does it for Fast Money for this week, but do not go anywhere. Options Action is up next. What's on the horizon for financial markets? At PGIM, it's a question that over 1,400 investment professionals relentlessly research in pursuit of your long-term goals. Specialized across asset classes, but united in collaboration, our teams provide global and local expertise. Our investments shape tomorrow, today. Pursue your tomorrow with PGIM, a leading global asset manager.